Oh my heavens, I am so excited about this one. (laughs) Guys, this episode, I love, love, love what we're going to talk about. This is JC on the You May Need Podcast, episode 11. We have made it through some really tough ones, but man, this is good food for the soul today, what we're going to talk about. I'm grinning. I'm sitting here smiling like an idiot while I'm talking into a microphone. <laughs> I told you, it's got to get better, right? We've, we've slogged through the really difficult part of the hike, but we got to be able to see the summit so we see where we're headed. So we get filled with that, you know, motivation like, okay, it's going to be okay. This is what we're shooting for. This is why we're going through all the hard stuff. And I hope and praying Today will do that for us. We are going to go back to exactly where we were in the last episode. We are talking about not so much anymore what the ways we've wandered, the ways that we have avoided him or run away or hid or tried to clothe ourselves. We are turning. We are coming to Christ and we're seeking to know him, right? We did establish that eternal life is knowing him. It's not a checklist of religious duties. While those duties can bring us to Christ, that's not the point. The point is coming to know him. So today, we're going to go way deeper in what it means to really know him, build a relationship with him. We touched on that a little last time, but this is where, oh, it gets so good. Okay, so this is, again, game changer stuff for me. And I know I get crazy and say that a lot, but oh, okay, I need to calm down. We're going to start in a, in a couple of verse in, verses in Ephesians that, like for the most of my life, I didn't even really realize they were there. I don't know that I had read them ever. Definitely not processed them. They're kind of easy to miss. It's in Ephesians chapter 5 at the very end. And in this chapter, Paul is talking about men and women and their love for each other, husbands and wives and their duties and their love for each other. But he takes this tiny little tangent in verses 30 through 32 and then pops right back and ends it back in the husband-wife content. But he just does this little, throws this little thing out um, and we're going to look at it. So verse 30, Paul says, for we are members of his body, speaking of Christ, we're members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Now look what he does. He just gave the analogy of husband and wife coming together and becoming one. He says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. He says, I know I just gave you an example of a man and woman coming together, leaving father and mother, coming together to become one flesh. It's a mystery, But I'm talking about what needs to happen between Christ and the church, between Christ and his people. He's speaking of the idea of becoming one with the Lord. Us in our hearts, one with him. And he's using the marital analogy to do it. Um, If you think about it, (laughs) the word know, when we speak of knowing Christ, the word know in the scriptures is used in an intimate setting between husband and wife, like Adam knew his wife and she bore a child. Like it has a connotation in the scriptures of deep intimacy. And so he's throwing that out there. He goes, I know we always talk about this in marriage. 
This is a mystery, but this is what is to happen between Christ and his people. Each of us individually becoming one with him. So that's what we're going to talk about about today. How we come to know him that intimately, become one with him. How does it happen? What does it even look like? My very favorite place to teach this, to look at this, is John chapter 6. I adore that chapter. I've been over it and over it a million times. You should see it in my scriptures. It is like destroyed with markings and references. And I use this a bit in my online class, Satisfied, but we're going to tear apart some of this because Christ teaches us the answer to this question, how we're to become one with him. Now in um, John, John chapter six, I would also love, by the way, If you're listening to this on your phone and you're somewhere where you can grab your scriptures or open up to John 6 and read it with me, I'll read the words to you, but seeing them yourself, it's just so powerful to be able to see what he's saying and just process it. So if you can get your eyes on some verses and then read them with me, that would be awesome. This is after the feeding of the 5,000. He has worked this amazing miracle, fed them so abundantly that baskets were gathered up in in excess when he was done blew their minds he went across the sea it's a whole story with him walking on the water and stuff but we're not gonna do that the next morning he's on the other side the sea of galilee and everybody was so moved by that miracle they hunt him down the next morning they are like where have you been we've been looking for you i mean they got a free meal and an abundant one at that and they're back This crowd has sought him out again. Now here, Jesus starts to get serious. And he starts to say to them in the mid part of chapter six, listen, I did not come as your Messiah just to fill your bellies. There is something so much deeper, so much greater that I can give you. And in verse 35, he says, I'm the bread of life. (laughs) Quit looking for literal bread for me to fill your bellies. I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. There's eternal life. I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. I can put life in you that will fill your hunger and fill your thirst. It'll stay full. You'll never hunger again. You'll never thirst again. He's trying to get them to wrap their minds around what he actually came to bring us. So he's going to speak more in this entire chapter of life. And I want you to watch. I, I, we do not have time to read the whole thing. Go do it yourself. You'll love it. We're going to skip over all the way to verse 51. And I want you to look for references for life. What he's talking about. I'll show you. But he gives the people an analogy of how to partake of the bread of life. How to get this eternal life in them so that it fills all their hunger and thirst. He says in 51, and I'm in the King James I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall what? Live forever. He's offering life, an eternal kind of life. You eat of the bread I shall give you, you will live forever. And he's not just talking about resurrection after. He's talking about life like we've been talking about in this season. He said, the bread I will give is my flesh. That, oh, excuse me. The bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. I get a little excited when I'm reading. But look at the response. The Jews, therefore, strove among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? 
They're taking him completely literally and they're freaking out. And then Jesus said unto them, he didn't even back off from this analogy. He said very clearly, they're freaking out about the idea. And he's like, oh yeah, verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. You eat my flesh, you drink my blood. That is the only way to get life in you. Boy, guys, that's such a huge reference for what we've been talking about this season. How do I get eternal life lit up in my soul, lit up in me? And he makes it very clear. You eat my flesh, you drink my blood. That's the only way to have life in you. This kind of life forever that fills your hunger and fills your thirst. So again, they're freaking out, but he's like, no, I'm not backing off of this analogy. He says in 54, whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life. He doesn't say will have after you die in the next life. You drink it, you have it, possess it, eat and drink my flesh and blood hath eternal life. Oh shoot. Where did I stop? And I will raise him up at the last day for my flesh is meat indeed. And my blood is drink indeed. Now this is pretty dramatic stuff. You can see why they were freaking out a little bit like, okay, that's kind of gross. And, and this is the thing that we sometimes forget back in his day, the law of Moses for specifically forbid the drinking of blood. So he just wasn't using kind of a gross analogy. He was using analogy that to these people in their culture made them unclean. Like they, they could not, if they take him literally on this one, they're, they're going to freak out like they already did in verse 52. How can this even happen? Please. And the truth is, that's exactly what happened in the end of the chapter. If you look at verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. This freaks some people out. So here's my question. Here's my question. Why would Jesus choose to use such a graphic analogy if he knew it was going to cause such a stir with the people? Or even with us, eat my flesh and drink my blood. It's very, you know, stark. Why wouldn't he just say, serve me, follow me, obey me, love me. And that's how you will drink. That's how you will partake of the bread of life. That's how you will have this life in you. Serve me, follow me, obey me, believe in me. No, he knew this was going to freak people out, but he used this specific analogy. So what's so important of the idea of eating his flesh and drinking his blood that he would risk losing followers to use this? This is the image he wanted for this particular idea to show us how to get life in us. He wanted this image. So I think sometimes those of us that come from a faith denomination where we partake of the sacrament or communion, the bread and wine, bread and water, however your faith does it, our mind might go to that first and say, well, he's, he's talking about that. And, and yes, absolutely. The sacrament, the communion would come to symbolize exactly what he's teaching here. But here's the thing. He, he had not even introduced that ordinance to his disciples. He had not. The Last Supper was still way off where he would introduce this break the bread for them and give them the wine. So he hadn't even taught that yet. How could be, you know, he's, he's not going there specifically. I think this is the main reason, though, is that I come from a tradition where I take the sacrament every Sunday, every Sunday in my faith. 
And I, my hunger was not filled and my thirst was not satisfied. Like I was still very spiritually dead a lot. So if all he was saying is partake of this ordinance, it hadn't worked in my life. Like I realized when I began studying this, that he has to talk about going deeper. This has to be about something more. Yes, that ordinance, that sacrament, communion, ordinance would symbolize what he's talking about. But again, what is this about eating his flesh and drinking his blood? For me, what finally changed it was the idea, once I started thinking about, okay, what happens every time I eat something or drink something? Doesn't that food or drink literally become part of me? It enters my body. It's synthesized like into my bones and into my heart and organs and blood cells, bloodstream. It becomes part of me, doesn't it? Part of my inner workings. It's not that food or drink is no longer outside me. It's become one with me, has it not? That food or drink is now in me, fully joined one with me rather than sitting on the table outside, separate from me. Isn't isn't this a beautiful idea? I absolutely believe this is why he used this analogy. You can't, it's not enough to just obey me or follow me or believe in me. Those are all good things. And those are the beginnings of our walk of coming to Christ. We've got to start somewhere. Absolutely. I'm not saying those aren't beautiful, beautiful practices. But he says, okay, you want the full experience. You want life in you so much that it's springing up perpetually, continually, eternally. You are filled with it. You are made alive in me. You got to go past this, follow me around, obey me, serve me. You have to become one with me. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. Become absolutely one with me the way food and drink do when we eat them or drink them. That's the way we become spiritually reborn through him. It's how we become alive in him. We have to become one with him. In other words, he has to be in us. He has to be in us, literally one with us. Let me give you a couple quotes that really helped me to wrap my brain around this. There's so many scriptures that we could do with this, guys. So many. I'm just going to give you a few more as we go, but there's so many once you start looking. This quote comes from D. Todd Christofferson. It's just a quick little sentence. He says, to eat his flesh and drink his blood is a striking way of expressing how completely we must bring the Savior into our life, into our very being, that we may be one. I mean, he just nails it right there. To eat his flesh and drink his blood, it's a striking way of expressing how completely we must bring him into our very being and become one with him. Okay, quote number two, this comes from David A. Bednar. And I love this one. I love this one. To me, this clarifies it even more. It's one thing to know that Jesus Christ came to earth to die for us. That is fundamental and foundational to the doctrine of Christ. But we also need to appreciate that the Lord desires through his atonement and by the power of the Holy Ghost to live in us. To live in us, not only to direct us, but also to empower us. Through the power of the Spirit, having Christ living in us 
through the power of the Spirit. Doesn't that go along right go along right with eat my flesh and drink my blood? You take me into you. You let me live in you through the power of the Spirit. And then, man, I'm going to light up your soul like a Christmas tree with life, with eternal life. Um, this is the crazy thing, guys. That's how he ended his little analogy in John 6. I didn't read that verse. <laughs> But that's exactly how he wrapped it up. He said in verse 56, after he was talking to them about this, he said in 56, he that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me and I in him. To dwell in him and he in us, fully becoming one, knowing him so intimately that there's no more separation. He's in me through the power of the spirit. I love this idea. I absolutely just, it lights me up. What a cool, beautiful analogy or way to teach how deeply we must come to know him. This isn't isn't just about him being with us. As great as that is, and as much as that is a starting place, this is finally moving to the point where he is in us. He's not with us or beside us. He is in us to empower, to bring that inner self to life. This is also taught um, in John 15, probably one of my other favorite passages. I'm sure I've quoted it before, but John 15, one through five, I guess we could do four and five, where he says, abide in me. Abide in me and I in you. Abide just means live, dwell, remain, stay. Live in me and me in you. That in you. In fact, if you, John teaches this a lot. So we're in John 15, we were in John 6. If you look in the epistles, I did a study of all his epistles once. You will find the in him or in you concept. I think it's like 35 times. He teaches it a lot. That this is the higher level of our walk with Christ. So you can look at John 15, look at that a little more. The other place I love it where John teaches this is in John 14. He talks about how, guys, you can't be marveling at this because this is exactly what happened between Jesus and his own father. When Jesus was on the earth, that is the kind of relationship and oneness they have. He said in John 14, um, Philip said unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. I can never say that. And then in verse 9, Jesus says to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. And then in the next verse, listen to this. Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself. But here it is, guys, here it is. But the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. God's in me. <laughs> the Father dwelleth in me through the power of the Spirit, and he's working through me. He's in me. Verse 11, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. He's talking about this same bond, this same oneness, this same complete knowing, complete intimacy, complete joining. So then later in 14, he goes, guys, you get to do that with me. <laughs> After I am... I am killed on the cross and after I resurrected, I, verse 18, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. I will come to you and be in you. You can be in me through the power of the spirit. 19, listen to the live references, life references. 
After he promises to come to us, he says, yet a little while and the world seeth me no more, but you'll see me because I live. Ye shall live also. You'll come to life. You'll be made alive as I live in you. It will just spring to life inside of you. And at that day, ye shall know that I am in my father and ye are in me and I in you, in you, in you, in you. Christ himself through the power of the spirit. It's mind blowing. Let me just look real quick in John four. There's one more place we could look at this where he talks about this in you concept. That's the woman at the well. We already looked at that. We already did that. But look at it again now with this lens in your head. Because when he says to her, whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. And then listen, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him. A well of water springing up to everlasting life. How is it in us? Because he is in us. And when he is in us through the power of the Holy Ghost, his life will be our life. His joy will be our joy. His strength will become our strength. His patience will become our patience. His love will become our love. Yes, our our outward lights will still be the same. We'll still do the same dishes and drive the carpool and clock in at work and deal with the same crazy kids and wash the same 12 million loads of laundry. That part won't change. But now with Christ in us, we're meshed. We're joined together. I have his strength now to rely on because he's in me. I have his joy. I have his patience as a mom or at work. I'm made so much more because he is in me, in my work meetings, in my difficulties, in my conversations with people, with neighbors at the grocery store, in my parenting, in my running errands. He's with me all the time now. He's in me all the time. And so everything is going to have that life in it and that strength, that empowerment in it because he's in it with us. We're not alone anymore. He's right there in us, in our heart, offering everything that he is to be given to our efforts, to our lives, not just to bring our spiritually dead hearts back to life, which absolutely he will do through this process, but to just empower us to live our life on earth and all the difficulties and all the stresses and suddenly... We're not hungering and thirsting anymore because that inner life is full. The resources are there. We're sitting at the feast. Internally, the feast is there. It's provided. We have the resources now because he is in us to deal with whatever, no matter how hard, gut-wrenching it may be. And there are those kinds of hard things. But now he's in us through the power of the Spirit. Let me read that quote one more time. From David A. Bednar. I passed it here. Wait, where is that? I keep scrolling past it. It is one thing to know that Jesus Christ came to earth to die for us. That is fundamental and foundational to the doctrine of Christ. But we also need to appreciate that the Lord desires, through his atonement and the power of the Holy Ghost, to live in us. Not only to direct us, but to empower us. Oh, I'm trying to think of other verses. I'm like, maybe I won't. My time is up. I told you I was going to get super worked up about this. But guys, knowing all of a sudden that coming to know Christ meant this, 
it didn't just mean that I was talking to him every once in a while when I could find time to crack open my scriptures. Yes, that was good. But this was all the time through the messes, through the every single different kind of thing I was facing through the day. Now I'm never, ever alone, ever anymore. He's with me, in me, all the time. Oh, it just, I'm sorry. It is so mind-blowing. It is so, such a beautiful doctrine. This is the answer for every problem we struggle with, every weakness that we just can't overcome, every frustration that just plagues us. This is how we are spiritually reborn through him. This is how we come alive in him. This isn't just the path to becoming the person we've wanted to be, but this is the path to the relationship with him that will be deeper and more beautiful and more intimate and more real than anything we have ever experienced. All right, I threw it out at you. I probably talked a million miles an hour, but I'm on fire. I told you, just make it through the first hard part of the season. And now, now we get to explore for the rest of the season how this happens. It's not overnight. It's like my husband and I, when we first met, we were just like strangers to each other. It took time for him and I to come to the point where we could come together as one flesh. Building that relationship of intimacy took time. And it's the same with our Savior. That's why it's such a good analogy, that marital analogy, because we know how it works. You don't reach that point overnight. You build that. And so that's where we're going to go in the next nine episodes. This was 11, right? So for the rest of the season, how? How do we get there? What does it look like? How do I become one with him like that? I want it. I want my soul lit up by having him in me. I hope you're excited. Like I am, chew on that. Like I keep saying, process it, um, study it out in your own mind, study the, some of the things we've read. And the next time we'll take it even farther. Thanks for joining me.